to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hello, this is uh, Charlie Cole. I'm a cardiothoracic surgery fellow at the University of Colorado. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Jim Jaggers, who's the chief of congenital cardiac surgery at Colorado Children's. Uh, thanks for joining the discussion. You're welcome. Today we'll be discussing congenital aortic stenosis. Um, so congenital aortic stenosis or left ventricular outflow tract obstruction is really classified depending on the level of obstruction as either subvalvar, valvar, or supravalvar and 15% uh, of patients can have multiple levels of obstruction. Dr. Jagers, can you talk about kind of the anatomic and diagnostic differences between each subtype of LVOTO? Well, Charlie, as you mentioned, there's multiple levels of obstruction in the left-sided outflow tract, uh, subvalvar, supervalvar, and uh, valvar stenosis. These occur on a somewhat of a continuum from simple uh, isolated stenosis to hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which includes multiple levels of obstruction. So when we talk about uh, the different uh, types of LV outflow tract obstruction, the most common type is going to be your valvar aortic stenosis, and then sub subvalvar stenosis, and then supervalvar stenosis. Uh, more than half of those are going to be valvar stenosis patients. And when we talk about valvar stenosis, we're really talking about uh, uh, diseases that involve abnormalities of the valve leaflets as well as the size of the uh, valve annulus. Presentation can be anywhere from the neonatal period, uh, prenatal period actually, to the neonatal period, and then more mature levels uh, as children get older. Uh, obviously with, incre with decreasing levels of severity, uh, correlating with the time of presentation. What are the uh, kind of presenting signs and symptoms that most of these children will exhibit? Well, for example, with aortic valve stenosis, uh, the presentation can occur uh, as a newborn in the neonatal period with critical aortic stenosis in which there, there is ductal-dependent systemic circulation. In that case, the presentation is, is, is immediately, if not even diagnosed prenatally, there are some interventions that can occur in the uh, in the uh, in utero uh, period that, in some situations, can improve the outcome of the aortic valve and of the left ventricular structures. But most kids are still diagnosed and treated uh, in the neonatal period. Uh, it's important when you have ductal dependent systemic circulation that prostaglandin therapy be initiated immediately after delivery in order to prevent premature closure of the ductus, which in effect would uh, decrease the systemic cardiac output. So once prostaglandins are started, then you have some time to decide what your initial therapy is going to be. When we talk about interventions for the critical aortic stenosis in the newborn, uh, really we're talking about three. Uh, one can perform a, if, if we think that there's going to be a two ventricle solution, uh, then a surgical valvotomy could be performed and we can talk about which valves might benefit or which patients might benefit from a surgical valvotomy. Balloon valvotomies can be performed in almost any neonate 
certainly there are some valves that respond better to balloon valvotomy versus a surgical valvotomy. And then there's those patients that have both anatomic and physiologic indicators that they're not going to tolerate a two-ventricle circulation and a single ventricle uh, solution should be pursued. So first, that's the most important uh, step is to decide and make the, the best uh, guess as to whether this patient's going to be a two ventricle versus a, a, a single ventricle solution. Things that would indicate that a single ventricle solution uh, would be uh, favored would be and there's been several of these, and not, and it's not entirely clear um, which patients will do better. But some indicators are if there's a very small mitral valve annulus, less than about six or seven millimeters, uh, z-score of minus two to three. Uh, if there is a small left ventricle, uh, and that can be measured in a couple different ways. It can be measured by the the volume of the ventricle. Uh, and some, somewhere less than about uh, 15 to 20 millimeters per meter squared uh, would be an indicator of a too small of a left ventricle. If there's substantial subaortic obstruction, um, so if there's subaortic obstruction that can't be relieved by balloon or surgical valvotomy, that patient's going to be better off treated with a single ventricle uh, palliation. Some have identified the aortic valve annulus size as being a predictor. It's less of a predictor than others because, uh, but it does depend upon the valve morphology. So you can balloon or dilate or even in size and surgical valvotomy, fairly small annuluses, but anything less than about five or six millimeters is probably not gonna be a good two ventricle solution. Awesome. Others have also looked at ascending aorta size. Um, ascending aorta side also is not terribly predictive of a single ventricle, uh, of the need for single ventricle because the ascending aorta can be augmented. Functional indicators of the need for uh, a single ventricle versus two ventricle are patients that have significant uh, valvar insufficiency or significant endocardial fibroblastosis. Uh, have all also predicted the failure of two ventricles. Thank you. Um, so in order to kind of organize the talk, um, we'll divide each level of obstruction uh, up and then kind of talk about the surgical treatment options. So starting with valvar stenosis, since it's the most common, and I know that you'd already mentioned open surgical valvotomy as an initial treatment option, but if we were going to pursue a, a two ventricle pathway, what would be um, kind of the operations that you would look to perform for, for these children? So if we, if we limit ourselves to discussion about critical aortic stenosis in the newborn, uh, there's really two techniques that can be used in order to relieve aortic valve obstruction. This is assuming that we've decided that the, uh, that the patient could benefit from a two-ventricle uh, a solution rather than a single ventricle and has favorable anatomic and physiologic uh, parameters. The first line of therapy in most institutions is going to be a, a catheter-based intervention or a balloon valvotomy. This can be used in nearly any size annulus, can be used in the face of a coarctation or aortic arch hypoplasia, and um, can be very effective 
The other is going to be the surgical valvotomy. Uh, this is obviously can be performed in any in any neonate. Uh, it can you can combine arch reconstruction, coarctation repair with your surgical valvotomy, uh, and both have been have a place. I would say that there is institutional biases uh, for one versus the other as the primary therapy. Uh, those. Uh, those centers that feel surgical valvotomy uh, is most beneficial will uh, uh, will claim that a precise commissurotomy of the uh, between the between the leaflets is going to be the most accurate and is going to be able to relieve some obstruction without creating insufficiency. However, if it's not very attractive to be doing a surgical operation, an open cardiac surgical operation in a, in a newborn that has decreased left ventricular function uh, and plus or minus endocardial fibroelastosis, the risks can be relatively high. One strategy is to perform a surgical valvotomy as the default procedure, limiting balloon valvotomy for patients with decreased function severe EFE. Those that propose that say that there's the best chance at relieving alveolar flow tract obstruction and preventing aortic insufficiency. And in fact, if you look at the, uh, the studies that have compared surgical versus balloon valvotomy, balloon valvotomy is more effective at relieving the obstruction, but is also more uh, effective at creating aortic insufficiency. Mm -hmm. Valve, or surgical valvotomy is less likely to completely relieve the obstruction, but is very good at preventing aortic insufficiency. So uh, there's trade-offs with both. The, the key with doing balloon valvotomy is to try to not overdilate the valve. The general guidelines are that you shouldn't use a balloon size greater than uh, 1.0 uh, for the annulus. In other words, don't oversize the balloon. And in fact, some will even use 0.8. So using a, a balloon size that's 80% of the annular diameter. That generally will relieve obstruction without tearing leaflets. The most common reason to have to re-intervene on a child with critical aortic stenosis is recurrent obstruction in the early period, but in the later period it's recurrent. It, it is, it is uh, aortic insufficiency. And then what are the more kind of definitive operations that we would perform uh, for these children? So most of the time in, in the neonate, balloon valvotomy or surgical valvotomy is carried out, but as I mentioned, there, there is later, recur later recurrence of aortic insufficiency or recurrent stenosis. Recurrent stenosis is oftentimes related to uh, subaortic obstruction or recurrent valvar obstruction. In that case, if you have if you have severe aortic valve disease and you have subaortic obstruction, most commonly you're going to have to do a uh, valve replacement with a cono procedure. And and in small children, the best option for that is is the Ross cono operation. Uh, this effectively relieves the outflow tract obstruction and gives a competent valve. One can also combine that with any mitral valve interventions that are necessary, uh, 
remembering that mitral valve uh, disease is, is common with LV outflow tract obstruction and can also be combined to some extent with resection of endocardial fibroelastosis. <clears throat> so what are the uh, critical components of the Roscono operation? Well, the Roscono operation, the three things that have to be accomplished is, is creating an incision in the interventricular septum to open up the subaortic area. Uh, this can be done actually in a couple different places. One is in the, in the uh, anterior septum, and the other is down below the mitral valve, uh, as popularized by Backer and Mavrudis. Uh, we typically perform a more traditional Kono procedure uh, using either a piece of Gore-Tex patch to augment the interventricular septum uh, and sew in the autograft uh, to that patch and to the LVL flow tract. This, uh, this is a good technique in order to accommodate the larger size of the pulmonary valve, which is it's always larger than the annulus of the aortic valve with aortic stenosis. And then one has to uh, replace the coronary arteries onto the autograft in a typical fashion and then one of the key things is, is to remove as much of the uh, native pulmonary artery down to the level of the commissures in order to try to prevent uh, ascending aortic dilation or root dilation, which is, which is one of the downfalls of the Ross procedure. Thank you very much. Uh, so we'll move forward now to subvalve arsenosis, which is the second most common cause of left ventricular outflow tract obstruction. Uh, can you describe kind of the differences between the discrete and diffuse variants of the, this disease? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, subvalve arsenosis is, really comes in three varieties. It, it, it's typically a, a fibromuscular ridge, which is a fairly discrete form of obstruction just below the aortic valve. And then there's also the tunnel type subaortic obstruction, which is, is more diffuse and long segment. Uh, and then there's finally, there's the asymmetric septal hypertrophy type uh, that uh, is, is much less common in small children. Um, the fibromuscular ridge is the most common and uh, it, it essentially presents as a discrete obstruction, a fixed obstruction and behaves just like uh, critical aortic stenosis generally results in modest degrees of, of stenosis uh, in the 30 or 40 millimeter mercury peak range, but, uh, but can, uh, can progress over time. It's thought that this is probably somewhat of an acquired form of subaortic obstruction and probably related to some abnormal geometry of the outflow tract resulting in increased turbulence through the outflow tract. And, and as we know, injury or increased turbulence results in endocardial injury and, and stimulation for fibrous growth. And uh, you'll see that these, these, these rings or these subaortic obstructions will progress over time. So what are our surgical treatment options for each uh, different subtype or yes. variant? So the indications for repair for subaortic obstruction uh, are related to the degree of obstruction or the degree of gradient. And as we know, the increase in gradient results in increased stress on the myocardium. And uh, eventually, LV, left ventricular hypertrophy, and even if left untreated long enough, will result in uh, uh, systolic dysfunction. And at that point, relief of the obstruction is unlikely to completely relieve or completely treat the, the LV function. Uh, Gradients uh, along the lines of a, of a mean gradient of, of, 
of 50 or so are sort of absolute indications to relieve the obstruction. But even at smaller gradients or lower gradients, uh, the uh, resection of subaortic obstruction is probably indicated in order to prevent injury of the uh, aortic valve because the uh, increased velocity across these areas can create uh, uh, insufficiency. It's not entirely clear that treating the subaortic obstruction will alleviate completely the the aortic insufficiency or reverse that, but in general that's considered an indication uh, for this. Surgical intervention for the discrete fibromuscular ridge is relatively straightforward. Uh, you make a, uh, on cardiopulmonary bypass, you make a hockey stick shaped incision in the ascending aorta, uh, retract the leaflets away, and these membranes are typically at or just below the uh, nadir of the uh, of the cusps of the aortic valve. They're usually crescent shaped. They usually extend uh, nearly uh, the, around the entire annulus of the subaortic sub area of the annulus uh, from the uh, just below the nadir of the right coronary cusp down onto the mitral valve annulus. And these are relatively easily resected. Uh, they simply shell out most of the time if you get in the proper plane to dissect. Uh, the important thing is, is to try to change the geometry of the LV alpha tract in order to prevent uh, recurrence of these. Uh, recurrence rates for uh, subaortic obstruction range anywhere between 5 and 20 or 30 uh, percent. The, so it's important to change this geometry in order to decrease the, the risk of recurrence. That's, that, that change in geometry can be accomplished by a septal myectomy, uh, simply taking out a significant piece of uh, interventricular septum, and this is performed below the uh, uh, intercoronary commissure in that portion of the septum in order to avoid injuring the conduction tissue, which will sit a little bit more rightward, if you will, uh, towards the towards the perimembranous septum. And taking out a good segment of this muscle down to the level of the papillary muscle is, is, is indicated and uh, um, your risks of uh, conduction tissue injury are very small if you do it in this region. Thank you. What about the management of the diffuse variant of subaortic obstruction? So the diffuse variant is more difficult to manage. It doesn't really respond to typical resection through the aortic valve. The most commonly employed technique to deal with the, the diffuse tunnel-like obstruction is a modified Kono procedure. Uh, this is, involves uh, incising the interventricular septum and opening this up and placing a patch on it, so it, essentially raising the roof of the uh, interventricular septum. The key to this operation is to avoid the area of the conduction tissue. Um, this is performed through a right ventriculotomy. It's important to open up the aorta to help guide where you make the incision so that you make sure that you make your incision in the area of the septum well away from the conduction tissue and resecting muscle to the leftward aspect of this incision, not to the rightward aspect of it. And then the other important part is to take this incision right up into the uh, into the uh, intercoronary or into the intercoronary commissure uh, uh, space in order to resect as much muscle as possible, because uh, that's a that is a common area for recurrent obstruction in that area. And then <clears throat> moving forward uh, for supravalvular aortic stenosis, 
What are um, your indications for operation and what type of procedures do you provide uh, for these individuals? Well, supervalvariatic stenosis, uh, as you know, is, is related to a particular genetic abnormality called elastin arteropathy, otherwise known as Williams syndrome. Williams syndrome can occur in a couple different forms. As one is her hereditary Williams, in which it's a familial, and then there's a spontaneous form of Williams elastin arteropathy. Regardless of that, though, uh, superaortic stenosis uh, is a very difficult problem to deal with uh, in that it can uh, present a significant risk for sudden cardiac death. And this is generally related to uh, coronary artery involvement in the supravalvar aortic region. The aorta in these children is very thickened, rubbery. Uh, the Arteropathy can extend around the aortic arch, even into the descending and abdominal aortas. Uh, so it's important to accurately characterize the superaortic stenosis with imaging, usually with CT scan or MRI, to really define the extent of the insufficiency and also to define the involvement of the coronary arteries. Any preoperative imaging uh, needs to be needs to be carried out very carefully with cardiac anesthesia and someone that knows uh, how to deal with this because any drop in preload can result in significant coronary malperfusion, especially if the coronary arteries are involved in the uh, level of obstruction. And these child are at pretty significant risk for sudden cardiac death under any anesthetic. So that being said, these are generally treated with any number of different variable surgeries uh, a, one of the more earlier uh, types was a what was called a single patch technique, which simply made an incision through the area of stenosis into the non-coronary sinus, and a patch was used to augment this area. Another uh, technique called the Doty technique or the two patch technique, which looks like an inverted Y, which extends the incisions into the right and into the non-coronary sinuses, and creating a Y-shaped patch in order to enlarge the area. And then there's two other techniques that can be used to uh, uh, treat this that address all three sinuses and probably give a more normal appearing aorta uh, after the repair. And those are three patch techniques or what's called the interdigitating or slide technique, which uses uh, creating counter incisions in the, in the distal ascending aorta and counter incisions in the, into the proximal aortic root and then turning the aorta uh, approximately 30 degrees and then sliding those interdigitating uh, V-shaped patch, autologous patch of the distal aorta into those. Uh, this is a nice way to, to relieve um, the obstruction and to uh, uh, use all autologous material. However, the, in general, in my experience, the rate of recurrent, inter, recurrent obstruction in this with that technique is a little bit higher. I use a three-patch technique or a so-called BROM technique where uh, prosthetic material is used to augment the sinuses onto the, uh, uh, to just above the little sinotubial junction, resecting any of the uh, additional involved uh, aorta distal to the sinotubial junction to get back to more normal aorta and then a primary anastomosis in a circular manner. If there is arch Inner involvement than a than a uh, 
typical arch reconstruction patch or a triangular shaped patch can be used to augment the distal ascending aorta and the transverse and aortic arch. Uh, any of these techniques can be used. There is probably a slightly increased risk of recurrent obstruction with the single patch technique, but uh, that being said, the, 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 uh, the literature is a little bit murky on this. <clears throat> well, that was great. Um, I think that's all the time we have for today, but I really appreciate your um, input and expertise on this subject, Dr. Jaggers. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure.